0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com/give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek episode number 44. Captain the bridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option.
1: Attention crew of the Enterprise this is James Kirk.
0: movies and more and we're getting closer to the end of the second season of Star Trek Discovery that we've been talking about for some months now and we're going to be discussing the episode Such Sweet Sorrow it's the second to last episode of the season uh the first part of a of the two part finale it's very interesting <laughs> that in a streamed series we have to have a, a one that is in story arc That we have to specifically call it a two-part finale. I'm not sure why it makes any difference.
1: And they're actually titling them Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1 and Part 2. So it's not even like they got a different title for the second half. It's the same title. Well, they're they're still not fully broken out of the televised mold. Well, just the fact that they're releasing them, you know, one episode a week instead of just allowing us to do the binge watch we all want to do anyways (laughs) shows that.
0: Right. So as you hear, joining me as always are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, uh, this the quick reminder as I always do. Remember to like the Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com dot slash StarQuest Media. Uh, join us in the conversation there. We have such great feedback from folks and great conversations. Such a great group of listeners who want to engage with us, and you, I'm sure you'd want to join with them in talking about the show, sharing with others. And, and so so join us there. If you're not on Facebook uh, and say you're on Twitter, you could follow us on Twitter. We're at SQPN and you can send us feedback there, like send us uh, comments, or you could share the show or retweet it there. And uh, we, we just love to hear from you. And we have a little bit of feedback today, but we love getting your feedback and we hope to get even more in the future. So- Yeah, drop something in the comment box. Please, please. So here we have uh, the penultimate. Is it is it penultimate? Penultimate. Yes. yes.
2: I I can never be sure. I'm using that word. The right last now. one is the ultimate. The penultimate is the one before the ultimate.
0: So we are penultimately uh, talking about this episode called "Such Sweet Sorrow," and of course, the title is a reference to William Shakespeare's.
2: Whoa. Romeo and Juliet.
0: <laughs> yes, Romeo and Juliet. Parting <laughs> is such sweet sorrow that I shall say good night till it be tomorrow. And folks, they do say good night until it almost be tomorrow. This this episode What light through yonder window breaks. It is the dawn. This episode is into, <laughs> almost entirely a goodbyes. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a little bit of action and then a lot of saying goodbye.
2: By by the way, yes, I know that when Romeo says it is the dawn, he's talking about Juliet.
1: <laughs> yes it, it's the episode started out so strong you know there's a lot of stuff going on they're making the evacuation procedures they're doing all this stuff and then it's bogs down
2: yeah as as i mentioned to the guys before we started uh they have as many goodbyes in this as they do in the end of the lord of the Rings trilogy
0: no <laughs> yeah. right. exactly. we' done yet, a, we ev- done yet? everyone
2: nope. ev- everyone says goodbye to everyone right at least at least once
1: but, you know, they're in a big hurry. They've only got an hour till the ships arrive. <laughs> yeah. But they spent half of that and talking we, and And we got to build an angel
0: suit. Right. So the,
1: we're getting a little bit
0: ahead of ourselves. So let's let's uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, there's a lot of to unpack in all of that. So let's start where the episode begins, which is not on Discovery, where last time we left off, they were about to be destroyed by the Section 31 ships. There, here oh, we start. Oh, I'll, I'll actually, in the in the
2: pre cap. Uh, At the beginning of the episode, we flash back to one of the short tracks.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Which you
2: won't have seen unless you've watched the short tracks.
0: Right, right. And uh, yeah, that would make some of the, uh, if you haven't watched the the short tracks, you make some of this, uh, the content of this episode a a little uh, confusing, I guess. But we start with Sarek and Amanda on Vulcan by the seashore. So Vulcan apparently is not completely a desert planet. Yeah. And we've seen
2: for Morbit before that it has like small seas, no real big oceans, but it has small seas,
0: which I kind of appreciate because I, I hate this idea that like Earth has every kind of microclimate you can imagine, mm-hmm. but every other planet has one climate. <laughs> you know, so exactly. It's a yeah. snowy
2: and, planet. <laughs> and they've been making a point of that in this season, like earlier when Michael visited Vulcan, we got to see a thunderstorm.
0: Right. You know, which is yes. nice.
2: Yep. Here he's meditating on the beach, and we see there is a huge—I mean, it's got a yellow sun, yep—or and and it's got a huge moon hanging in the sky, which doesn't comport well with Spock's statement all the way back in *Journey to Babel* that Vulcan has no moon. Oh no, it's not *Journey to Babel*, but it's another uh, first uh, original series episode where he tells Uhura that Vulcan has no moon. Except we've seen this huge thing before, and in the JJ Abrams movie it's got a twin planet. And so I, I I I guess the way to rationalize that is that um when he told Uhura Vulcan has no moon, he meant he didn't mean but it doesn't have a a twin planet.
0: Right. Right,
2: and that- and that's that's fine with me because actually Earth's moon is not a moon; it's another planet, and we are living in a double planet system. Um, but for historical reasons, we call our twin planet a moon, even though it's it's not a moon; it's another planet. It's big enough to be round, but not big enough to glow.
1: So it's come a on, planet. Dom. If you don't throw the line in right now, I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, that's no moon. That's a moon egg. There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> two, two in one. star. I got two star. in one Good in job. that one. Yes. Two, two uh, references. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yes, we Earth doesn't have a moon either. It's an egg. So he, as he's meditating, Amanda brings him uh, like a bowl of incense or something. And he gasps and says, Michael. And that's yeah. where we, we leave there. And then we're back to Discovery, which is now apparently on the run from Section 30, uh, 31's ships, uh, accompanied by the Enterprise, which showed up at some point here. And mm-hmm. because I know they called it, but we didn't, we had, we, it hadn't arrived yet. must have been yeah. nearby, uh, shadowing them, which actually kind of makes sense that the Enterprise would have started, as soon as it was fixed, would have started shadowing Discovery, been, been, staying right. in the
1: neighborhood. So that, that makes sense. It, it is amazing, though, how many ships they will come and go from Discovery before Section 31 gets there. Yeah, (laughs) including Amanda and Sarek's shuttle. That was a problem for me as well. Yes. I mean, maybe
0: they're coming from the other direction. Maybe. Yeah, it's a little tricky. It's like,
2: Ambassador Sarek, aren't you heading up a task force for Starfleet to investigate the red bursts? And maybe you want to take part in these events somehow?
0: Yeah, but they got all the way from Vulcan. This is my problem with a lot of modern Star Trek is. You, they, the the distances that they seem to be able to travel at the drop of a hat without a spore drive. I mean, the spore drive sort of circumvents all of that. But this whole idea that everything is, you know, a hop, skip and a jump away from everything else in the galaxy. But but then at other times it's, you know, 75,000 light years and 75 years of flying. It's just it's it's kind of the inconsistency yeah. bugs me a little bit.
2: Yeah, the ships move at the speed of plot convenience, no matter what. Exactly. exactly.
0: So the they they have the Enterprise nearby, but they can't communicate with any other Starfleet ships because the Section 31 control is blocking them and the crew is preparing to abandon ship. Yeah, well, what they say, so I have two notes
2: on that. One of them is uh, it's neat to see the evacuation prep in that we've seen these people's quarters before. Because we kind of get a tour of the quarters and what they're doing in them. So like, you know, Saru's getting his knife and we see his plant quarters and everything. And and it's it and Tilly's grabbing a a knickknack and stuff like that. And it's neat that we've this is not like on Next Gen when we've seen people abandoning or getting ready to evacuate or something. And we see people we've never seen before making preparations. It's like these are the people we know. These are the spaces we've seen them in. And that's that's cool. Also, um, it's interesting, the corridor, the evacuation corridors that they set up between Discovery and Enterprise are like spaced in such a way. And it does make sense. I, I, I saw one video online where someone was saying, well, could they have just transported? But you're getting all these people over there really fast carrying stuff and the transporters might not do everything you need
0: and given that given the era we're in keeping in mind we're 10 years before original series transporters were not quite yet where they will eventually be with next gen where they can beam an entire crew over mass transporting them into cargo and and
1: you you think too of of uh the enterprise d had multiple transporter rooms but I don't know, did the original series ships have it Had
2: It had six, but they were oh, like this okay.
0: six person pads. Right. To beam right. an entire crew over would take forever. Yeah. So so this makes sense. And, and it would make sense. There would be regular spacing, like there would be regular yes. connections.
2: Yeah. So this must be a pattern that they have that's standard for where to put these things on any spaceship or space station for docking
1: purposes. Yeah. Have them spaced so far apart. Yeah.
0: Right, right, and and they're not tubes; they are, uh, they're these layers with shield, with the force fields to contain the atmosphere between them. So it makes them even more compact than they would otherwise. Uh, so it was an interesting uh, and what's, idea. It was now,
1: impressive to see the two ships kind of overlaying each other, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that they were that close that like the two parts of the ships were kind of overlaying each other. That the was primary health, Yeah,
2: impressive scene they say in this that control has infiltrated the subspace radio relays. And and that's, you know, that makes sense to me. So that's nice. But wow, does that mean they've got a problem? If, if this is this is infiltrated, you know, computer systems off of Section 31 ships, that is a massive problem.
0: Right. It means that control is pretty much in any system that you can think of in the Federation. But if it's in the communication system, it's everywhere. Yeah, because that's what communication systems right. do. It also means that their virus uh, software is woefully out of date.
2: Yeah, <laughs> got to download the new signature. Well, there's Yeah, they're still running
1: Windows XP. So I mean, <laughs> what do you do?
0: So Michael, in her personal log, because we we are back to having personal logs, she wonders whether destroying discovery is the only solution. Uh, My guess was no. And I was right. I have to take credit for that. Yeah. So uh, not that there was a giant leap of logic. Uh, So and and I still say no, uh, given that the show is named Star Trek Discovery. Pike uh, says to Michael as she has these second thoughts. And it's very interesting. uh, He says, sometimes we know the roles we have to play. Sometimes we don't. I don't know which is better, to be honest. Now, obviously, he's thinking of he knows. that vision he had of the, of his future, where he's going to end up uh, maimed and horribly disfigured in that chair. She says, we don't know if we'll have the strength until the moment comes. And she's prefiguring her own decision point where she's going, going to have to decide to leave everyone uh, and jump into the future with the, with the discovery uh, at that point. She. Go ahead.
2: So, oh, no, I was I wasn't going to say anything, but since you've thrown the floor over to me, so he like is ordering her (laughs) to get ready and go. Yes. And as soon as he walks out the door, she she grabs the time crystal.
0: Right. And has a vision of her future, which uh, at this point is kind of chaotic and distorted. So we don't get a clear view except that. A lot of bad is happening the, the the Enterprise has got a, a big torpedo wedged in the primary hull and people are getting shot and, and, and we hear Control's voice at, in, in here. Uh, then uh, then we get a, this really cool uh, scene of Enterprise aboard Enterprise. And now we get our first real uh, look at what the updated original series Enterprise looks at, like. Yeah. Uh, Although yes. be-
2: before that, actually, Saru and Pike turn on the automatic uh, remote auto destruct. Oh, yes. D- thing. Yeah, that's true. So so they can destroy the ship from over on Enterprise.
1: I was going to say, you know, I will say, you know, you talk about the the bridge that, you know, kind of like an I called it, I called, you know, I figured that it was going to look very much, you know, in the design of the original series with the colors. And I love that that uh, Philippiuk. Uh Giorgio comes over and ill orange, you know, <laughs> but you know very much they they fit kind of the color scheme, but they obviously very much updated it, yeah, yeah, we also have a line from number one where she says, and
2: there will be no more holographic communications ever on enterprise um to explain that, which I didn't really need i i I liked the Giorgio line, you know it's orange, really, Ugh. Um <laughs> yeah. and I like that, but it it struck me because. So here's the thing. As we age, the lenses in our eyes discolor, and that means that all adults have a loss of some color vision. They are because of the yellowing of the lenses, and children really do live in a brighter, more colorful world than adults do. And so you have this yellow overlay of everything you're seeing as an adult until you get cataract surgery as I have had. And so um, suddenly the colors are more vibrant and they don't have that yellow overlay. And I'm looking at the the bridge and going, that's not orange, guys. That's red. Yeah.
0: Well, it was red. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. What, what what the or unless you was talking about the I uniform, don't know, I, the yellow know. shirts. No, that's not no, orange it either. Was, it
1: was it yeah. was a reddish. It was a reddish orange at best. If you want to give it that far.
2: So I but in thinking back to the original series, I guess I could kind of see how you could have considered that orange, maybe. But but it still looks just totally red to me. Yeah. And and I cu- couldn't help thinking, is this a color correction problem or does one of the writers need cataract surgery or <laughs> what's going on
0: here? Yeah, I, I was I mean, I was a little confused by the by the didn't know what she was referring to as orange. The auto does remote auto destruct fails, of course. Because, like, hello, I'm thinking of the same thing. Isn't the sphere AI going to, since it has complete control of the ship now, apparently, uh, that's why they're trying to destroy it. Wouldn't it try to prevent its own destruction by, by interfering? Like, what, no one, no one on the crew thought of this? Well, they they, they
2: they do catch up pretty quickly as soon as as soon as the auto destruct fails, they figure out immediately what it is.
0: I have an idea. How about we attach an antimatter bomb to the outside of the warp core as, as we're leaving and set a timer on it? And that way, the AI can't interfere with it. Or let's try talking
2: to the AI and explain what the problem is.
0: <laughs> exactly. Right, right. So so they fire torpedoes, which have that awesome original series torpedo sound, photon torpedo sound. Uh, and they fire their torpedoes. Doesn't work. And then they then then there's Michael that, has a vision, a vision of Leland attacking Discovery and killing everyone, including her, and then comes back to seconds before they launched their torpedoes at Discovery, at which point just stop. It's not going to work. And and, and I'm, I think we're supposed to get this idea that it's important, but I never figure out why. Why is it important? That they not shoot the torpedoes at this point, because that
2: will lock in the future where um, where Leland comes and kills everybody, and so this is this is the time crystal helping Michael avert that future. Right. I'm just trying to figure out vision. what
0: what is different that they haven't fired the ineffective torpedoes versus they have fired. The well, pr-
2: presumably they would realize, okay, the torpedoes. Well, that they just Michael needs to change the course of events, so. It's not that the torpedoes were essential to this. It's just she needs to get them on a new footing now.
0: Well, I get that, but because it, be, but, because but by if, having her- if
2: if they fire the torpedoes, then it's not going to work. They're going to start seeking other solutions. Eventually, they're all going to go back over to discovery. At which point, Leland will break in and kill them.
0: No, no, I get that, but but it's they seem to make a point of she has to come back to herself before the torpedoes are fired. Now, if they fire the torpedoes, oh, she has the vision. She says, oh, that's not going to this isn't going to work. We have to do something different. Then that's that changes the future. But they have her come back to moments before the torpedoes are fired. And I'm not sure what the
1: firing of these torpedoes has I, to do. I think it was just making it explicit. It was just making it explicit that this is a change to the timeline that she saw, because uh, I know I kind of caught a glimpse of it. And I had to go back and look. As the torpedoes are being armed in the first timeline, if you want to call it that the first time you see somebody walking backwards to kind of show this is a time distortion. Uh-huh. You know, it's just real brief, but it's right. You know, you see it's showing Burnham as they're making the, the order to arm the torpedoes and you see someone walk behind her backwards. And so it's just kind of a little flash. So I think that all it was, in my opinion, it was just they were making this explicit. This is a different outcome. So what Burnham saw is going to be different than what's going to actually happen.
2: And I think they they have to do something explicit. Yeah, they need I think they needed to do it for dramatic purposes. They needed to show Michael changing something, even even though, yeah, she could have said she could have come back after they fired the torpedoes and said, we need to do something other than what we were just planning on doing because I've just seen a vision of the future where we all die. And so we have to do something else other than what we don't know we were going to do yet anyway. So they need to show a reversal of an actual decision they've made. It's a lot
1: lot quicker just to have Burnham say, stop, don't fire. (laughs) Right. Go through all that big, long explanation of, yeah, this is not good. Okay. (laughs) So in this vision that we keep
0: seeing this image of that photon torpedo lodged in Enterprises Hall, it seems very important, this this torpedo for some reason. Someone, in fact, in the voiceover, I didn't quite catch it, but says something about the torpedo. So I'm guessing we're going to come back to that in the season finale, the, the ultimate season finale uh, episode. So that should be noted and, and looked at. So Michael comes back to the plan that they had before, which is use the time crystal to jump the data into the future.
2: And, and everyone, by the way just goes along with her stop. Don't fire the torpedoes. It's not going to work because it's going to defend itself. And they don't even test that in <laughs> right. any way. Right.
0: They well, just, oh, okay. Uh, well, can we just check? Yeah. Just fire one of them. Yeah. Just do one. Just, yeah. do one. S- just scan cause. and
1: scan and see if its shields are up. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. fire the phaser just to check for shields. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Oh, but it's not going to work. Uh, so they they decide
0: to rebuild the suit, including casting this special alloy in less than an hour, uh, including the time that they're all sitting around this conference room table chatting.
2: <laughs> so, yes. That- but the the bottom line is Michael's going to become the angel. So, yes, everything is proceeding as I have foreseen.
0: Well, yeah, you know, uh, Spock finally catches up to the rest of us and connects the dots that Michael is the one responsible for the signals. Yeah. Uh. Yes, as as Jimmy has been pointing out for at least four or five episodes now. Yeah, uh, exactly. So. Good, good job, Spock. Giorgio wants to make a star go supernova, and they say that it will destroy all life within light years. How? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I well, no,
2: no, 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 no. That that's that's fine. Um, if if you have a supernova, I mean, uh-huh. those are massive things. Okay, and and the shock wave and the radiation from that will sterilize light years. I mean, it won't happen instantly. It's going to take years for that to propagate.
0: Right. But But it's also.
2: Yeah. yeah. And and so the reason they want to do that is because they need to power the time crystal somehow to get it ready to jump to the future. And And she's okay um, with.
1: sterilizing. I love,
2: you know, Saru is like, but we would be responsible for the death of all light year of all life within light year, 25 light years, if not farther. And she's like, so. And 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 everyone is we're not doing that. And she's (laughs) she she says, and I love this line from corporate brainstorming meetings. You know, there's no bad ideas. And 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 she says, I thought there were no bad ideas. And (laughs) and Pike is like, that's a lie. And and Cornwell is, that's a bad idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which
1: is instant. That that was such a great. Some of the dialogue, especially around Georgia, is just. Fantastic. Yes, they do write her well. I mean, in this in this one especially. Yeah, it kind
0: of reminds me of the show Blacklist, which uh, features James Spader as a mm. bad guy oh, yeah. good guy. And mm-hmm. I haven't watched it in a few seasons, but I used to love that show because the the James Spader dialogue was awesome. Everything else was meh, but James Spader and his
1: dialogue in that was just awesome. And that's the same way with Giorgio in this. He's one of those that he you know so good with the snappy dialogue, and Michelle Yeoh is obviously showing herself for that as well. as yeah. she's so good at the the snappy dialogue? Yes, mm-hmm. I am
0: looking forward to if they do a section thirty one series to, of seeing a steady diet of this. So uh, we we get we finally get. So we've only had four signals so far. They mentioned, and then finally we get the fifth signal. Uh, it shows up at Zahia from the short tracks uh, where we had uh, Queen Poe the greatest starfighter pilot in the ge- no, I'm sorry, that's, the, that's some no, of the po- it's different,
1: <laughs> different franchise uh, you so, try to do the full uh, Supreme Highness, la 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 whatever yes. poll
0: yes. Yeah. so
1: I just want to make kind of so so far
0: we've had, we, we had been told that the short treks would not be relevant to the main storyline, but we, where were we, we just, told that? I, I, I think we were it was we were kind of being, um, that they were being separate, they were being created separate and outside of, when, like between seasons, like last when we first heard about the short Treks, we were they were introduced to us as being sort of separate from the story, separate the, the, these just these little separate stories that we're going to get that stand on their own, which they were.
2: Uh, they do stand on their own.
0: Yes, and uh, that
2: you you don't need to see anything else to watch them.
0: Right, but but it's interesting that they've incorporated them into this season, at least two of them so far.
2: Yep. Three given with, with Calypso since they're heading to the future. Right. Um,
0: that's a question. So maybe that we'll see that in the next episode. Yeah, I want to know when Harry Mud shows
2: up. Well, that's the one they haven't <laughs> done. Yeah, it's the <laughs> Harry Mudd one. Um, and that may just be a wild card. They needed to fill the production schedule.
0: Actually, I want Harry Mudd to be vital to the solution uh, of control. Maybe he's inside the unexploded torpedo. Maybe his um, robot technology will be important here. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's our little digression on the short tracks. But so I have in my notes that
2: the fist signal appearing just at this moment and taking them to Zahia is coincidence, convenient coincidence. But Poe is so much fun, I don't care. Right,
0: right. Uh, And it's the 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 vital thing here is that because Zahia and Poe have this dilithium recrystallizing technology that no one's ever discovered before. This is what's going to be the source for the energy to replace the supernova uh, energy for the to power the time crystal. Uh, I do like
2: Poe is an expert in crystal engineering, and so they're going to ask her to help with the time crystal.
0: And she's so sassy, especially yeah. towards Giorgio. I really I like that. <laughs> she's fun with Tilly, who who is reluctant to reveal how she knows Poe here. She's
1: not going to tell anyone that she was a stowaway. I love that line, but she doesn't have to come in through a cargo container. And Pike looks at her. What?
0: <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I, I
2: love the bit in the transporter room because Pike is all diplomatic up to greet this alien queen, and he starts talking to her, and immediately Poe says, "Tilly." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and she looks at Michael and says, "You look taller in your photos,"
0: which like, is another oh, way thanks.
2: of yeah, because it's another way of saying you're shorter than I thought. <laughs> And and then to Giorgio, she's, you know, Giorgio snarks at her and and uh, and Poe says, one of the best things about being queen is that uh, b- about being queen of the most politically relevant planet is I don't have to listen to any more snark. I made it an actual law. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> can she make that law here, please? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she tells them that she can uh, give them the tech to power the time crystal. But because of plot reasons, it will be a one way journey. So, uh they they can go but they can't come back. Uh they could take the discovery into the future.
2: Yeah, cuz the crystal will like burn out uh once it's done with its job so you can't come back. Also, she says she needs Planck level energy to do this. And I'm going really that I didn't know they had the technology to manipulate Planck level energy. That's the the Planck constants are like the most fundamental theoretical limits of physics and um so, like the Planck time is the smallest possible unit of time, and the you know planck energy is like this is the most in this is the theoretical
0: limit the most energetic energy yeah. possible right the uh, i we, mean we l- it,
2: I think it's like you know electron volts and that it's smallest possible, but they're manipulating energy on the most fundamental level
0: uh we find out that the anchor point for the time suit uh, in space is the planet Terralisium, which is that's apparently where I didn't catch this before, but that's apparently where uh, where Michael's mom has been based out of in the future is Terralisium because there is no advanced tech there except for the Star, the Starfleet radio.
2: Well, that may not be there a thousand years from now.
1: Okay, all right. And it was just a bad it was just a battery is the only part that was the actual Starfleet.
0: Oh, right, right. Yeah, the uh, The radio was
1: old 21st century
0: Interstellar radio. Yep. Uh, Poe tells Tilly that she's going to stick around through the battle, um, even though she's a queen. She's Uh, stowing away again. Stowing away. Uh, Giorgio gets mad at Michael for sacrificing herself because Michael's going to take this one way journey. Uh, And Giorgio is kind of showing her cards. She's like, she doesn't like her being selfless here.
2: Yeah. I I love it when uh, Giorgio is talking to her about you flinging yourself into the future like a galactic rubber band with a martyr complex. (laughs) <laughs> yes. and 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 Michael replies and when we're both still alive when this is all over then you can talk to me about my gaping character flaws
0: <laughs> this is totally <laughs> a daughter to her mom moment isn't it oh yes, yes. oh yes uh Sarek and Amanda managed to, we as we say she managed to show up here ahead of control somehow uh they jump ahead uh maybe maybe the Sarek's vision uh, that he had was in the In the like, sufficiently in the past that they could journey to this
1: point to intercept them,
2: they didn't establish a date for us. You're being too generous,
1: right? Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that that was kind of my thought, too. Is you could kind of headcan it that way that he actually saw this, you know, a month ago and then they immediately jumped in and went to warp and figured out where they were going to be and and and.
0: Uh, then we find out that, uh, as we mentioned, Tilly, Spock, Saru, Janet Reno and the rest of the bridge crew are going to stay behind with Michael on Discovery uh, to do throw their lives away. And of course, we know that that's not going to happen because Spock is the one person we know doesn't get left in the future. I
2: don't know these things <laughs> Oh, because because what I know is that the original plan. Uh, Brian Fuller's plan for Discovery Uh was to have this be a time travel series where after they dealt with the Klingon War, every season they were going to be like in a new time period in the Star Trek universe. And this could be a return to the original plan. That may be what the function of this season is in terms of Spock. So they may actually end up in the future permanently um, at the end of this season. And. Spock may not be with them when that happens, but wibbly wobbly timey wimey, he could journey with them for three more years or so and then come back to serve with Captain Pike on the Enterprise.
0: Mm. So are we going to have another castaway ship lost in space somewhere?
1: Show Voy- Voyager in time, maybe. So, so we could have Quantum Leap and Voyager combined, huh? Stargate
0: Universe. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could. I could name a whole bunch of sci-fi shows where this has been the the. Uh, I don't know. I mean,
1: we but there inter- could also be the thing where they send Discovery to the future, and they come back in a shuttle craft, and next season they've got a brand new Star Trek Discovery ship.
0: That's yep, true. They That's true. could. So, so, in other words, anything we assume right now, they can they can wiggle out from underneath uh, with. Uh, writing because so. of All course right. they still
1: got to they still got to get rid of the spore drive somewhere right. somehow
0: right the spore drive does have to go before the original series
1: so so before we go further I have a few
2: notes about things that have already happened at this point in the episode okay um we have a scene with Stamets and Culber where they have a sort of happy breakup that that you know I would be fine if they do nothing with these you know, with this in the future, but, uh, you know, this isn't going to last. They're going to have to love triumphs all this situation. Um, Although I was intrigued by Stamets saying again, because he said this at the beginning of the series, I'm thinking maybe after all this, I'm done with spaceships for a while. And I would actually, of these two characters, I think Stamets is the more interesting one. Um, the, The Culber is way less interesting and this season, all he's done is complain, which is not a way of making him more interesting. But the weird journey that Stamets has had between being nasty and nice, that's interesting. If they were going to keep one of these characters, you know, I would actually prefer it to be Stamets, but I would also be fine with him not having both of these characters in the future.
0: Yeah, although Stamets is one of the crew that are traveling into the future on Discovery with Burnham. Uh Tyler is initially stands with them, but then says, No, I have to stay behind to to deal with section thirty one. And and this was good because I, I
2: don't I mean, it part of it's paint by numbers. We gotta have a tragic star crossed lovers thing with Tyler and, and uh and, and Michael. Michael. Yeah. But um but I had I was thinking and I had in my notes control is still gonna be a huge problem for them to deal with even after they get the sphere data to the future. Here in the here in the twenty third century, it's going to be a massive problem, and so it does make sense to have Tyler say, "I'm I'm going to stay to help deal with the aftermath of control and prevent something like that from happening again." I also had in my notes um, Tilly's weight, and I think you know we've heard about there being reshoots on this, and Tilly's weight looked to me like it was fluctuating in this episode. In some shots, she looks pregnant. And and I know she's supposed to be a plus size character, but it looks like it's going back and forth to me. And so I wondered, is the actress actually pregnant? And I did some checking and I couldn't tell, but I did notice they were using classic television techniques when they want to disguise a pregnancy that an actress is having, like in in X-Files when in the first season when uh, Jillian Anderson got pregnant suddenly she's wearing these trench coats, then they're shooting her from the front. Or in Voyager, when, uh, I forget the actress, but B'Elanna Torres, Roxanne Dawson. When Roxanne Dawson got pregnant late in the series, they suddenly give her an engineer jacket with a little pocket full of tools next to her shoulder to draw your eye there away from her stomach. And in this episode, when Tilly is recording her farewell message to her family or friends back home, She's sitting down on her bed, and she's got a pillow over her stomach. And so, I I couldn't help wondering: Is there? Are they hiding a pregnancy on us here?
0: Hmm. I should find out. Um. I I've mentioned before. I I'm casually acquainted with her uncle, uh, oh. the actress's uncle. Uh huh. Yeah, she is married. I found that out. Yeah, yeah, it's recently her, married. Her uncle is a board member on uh, Massachusetts Citizens for Life, so and I used oh. to work there, so uh, I knew I knew him. So it, it, I, it, I it, didn't remember
1: you mentioning that. That's cool. That's oh, really yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, we we find out that uh, Janet Reno needs to uh, take down. I'm sorry, I just can't help myself. <laughs> I <laughs> she
1: know needs
2: to, it's, it's her name on our show. It,
0: it is her name now. She needs to take down the time crystal shield in order to speed charging. But when she does that, she's going to get awful visions of the future, uh, and she's willing to take one for the team on that one. So uh, but we we don't actually see those visions.
2: Well, we know we do. We see a little bit of them and she sees the torpedo thing. Oh, again. yes,
0: she does. That's right. That's right.
2: But so some folks have pointed out, OK, previously, in order to have a time vision, you have to touch the time crystal. Why right. is it going to leak out and make everybody crazy?
0: I think the power
1: and running
2: into it is the th- is See the that was, that, was that would be thought. my ex- that would be my explanation. Okay. But then why do you have to stay in the room to do this? Why can't you leave with everybody else and take down the cage remotely or why can't you beam out or something like that?
1: But reasons. Reasons. You know, not a big deal.
0: Yeah. Got to adjust the dials. Um,
1: <laughs> you know, I mean it 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 does actually kind of fit because like when they showed uh Burnham's mom, Dr. Burnham putting the time crystal in the suit she doesn't touch the crystal she uses like a a pad or something like that that grabs the crystal right a force field sort of thing yeah you know so and this this crystal is shielded the whole time so that that does actually i mean that does actually fit to say that as the crystal gets powered up this time precognition energy comes out of the crystal
2: something and and so to get ready for the jump you know Michael's reviewing mom's tapes learning the Power Rangers hand moves to control the suit and um and then she learns the crew wants to stay with her or the key members of the crew want to stay with her I think it's got to be more than just the the bridge crew uh, I assume they're not planning on having a season with a ship run by eight people um if,
0: yeah, but if, if that's what they're going to do yeah
2: yeah um but uh I'm going, guys, aren't you going AWOL? I mean, who gave you permission to go into the future (laughs) to keep Michael company?
0: There is an Admiral present. But he hasn't. But she hasn't said to do this. Right. But she could be giving permission off screen. I mean, that's sort of. No,
2: no, 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 no. They have to show us things like this. So Mm. we need it. If they want to do that, they need a scene where Cornwall says, I have authorized them to accompany you and attempt to shepherd the ship to ensure that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands in
0: the future, or something like that. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. I mean, if uh, the uh, Starfleet crews have often, you know, because the, mute, because mute they're need. Com- well, I don't. They're staying with the, the ship on its mission. I mean, that's that's part of their mission, right? I mean, to safeguard it. I mean, they're they're not muting in the in defying Starfleet. They're taking the ship to save humanity. It's what they do. So, uh, you know, if they do, if they blow up the ship, they're not mutinying. They're, they're they're they have been given. I, I feel like that was authorized. Well, I feel like well, even that is they didn't explicitly get authorization.
2: I think. No, no, no. Pike as a captain's and first officers have the ability to authorize the destruction of the ship that goes all the way back to TOS.
0: Right. And that's what I mean. Is like that. I feel like that the Starfleet has given crews a lot of leeway and in independence because they're so so often out of touch and out of contact to make certain kinds of decisions. Um, Saru's first officer, in fact, he's acting captain. As soon as Pike goes back to uh, Enterprise, he's acting captain. So he has the authority. And they kind of sort of semi-promote
2: him to where almost permanent captain, but not quite, because he kind of reels it back and says, we'll talk about it later.
0: Well, I think it's a matter of the... the Pike is about to name him captain and Saruza is sort of like, well, we'll decide whether Michael or I get to be captain afterward or something. It, it seems very It uh, was weird. It, it was weird. Like, look, who's got a seniority here? And that's who's well, the captain. It, it, yeah. it almost
1: it seemed kind of like um, all of a sudden now they're concerned about how much time it's going to take to actually transfer formally transfer command and all this. Right. And
0: you've all been mooning over each other for the last, you know, a half hour. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So uh, there is, so as... They, yeah, they should have called, taken the uh, is it Dashiell Hammett? It's one of those film noir guys, uh, authors. <laughs> this is the long goodbye.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, the big goodbye <laughs> from next generation. So as as uh Giorgio uh, beams Tyler and, yeah, and Pike great. back to the Enterprise, and as the the, the, the room is taking effect, she tells Pike, oh, by the way, I'm Terran from the Mirror, mirror Universe, like trying to shock him. And Pike says... What Mirror Universe?
1: And then winks at her as, yeah. as if I know exactly yep. what you're talking about. I know Pete. exactly who you are. I know what's going on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was great. That was a good moment. Um, and then we end before the battle. You know, the, the, the show, the ship show up, the Mirror Universe ships show up and I'm um, not Mirror Universe, sorry. Section 31 ships yeah, 31. show up and we're prepared for battle.
1: And that's where we end. Well, and there's there's also uh, Tyler just before they beam out. You know, he says, do you trust me? Why? There's something I need to do. I need to take off as soon as we get to Enterprise. Right. Yeah. And that's where he's going to go off and do his thing against control, whatever that might be. Yeah.
2: And so we kind of end with this scene with the 31 ships. there, ready to do battle with the Discovery and the Enterprise and way too many battle shuttles that they shouldn't have that many of.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. There's yeah, there are a lot of uh, fighter fighter shuttles there. Uh, so although I really love the idea of fighter shuttles, so I'm kind of excited by that. But uh, so there's a couple of questions we're here. Um, what about the sixth and seventh signals? We haven't had seen those yet. Presumably those are coming. Yeah, well, when when the lamb finally
2: pops them off the scroll, we'll find out what they are. <laughs> yes, um, yes.
0: In the in the Book of Revelation, the i I'm 67. I'm
2: I'm guessing the seventh signal is is likely the home signal,
0: right? Yes the the follow me home. Yeah. Yep. Um. Then my other question is: What's the difference between control as it is now, and control fully conscious as they're trying to prevent it?
2: So this is another thing that people have pointed out, which is control seems I mean, what more does it need? It's all it's already a devastating enemy that has seized control of the Federation's communication infrastructure and multiple ships and can imitate any officer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, How much more fully conscious can it be at this point? (laughs) Right. Yeah. That that it seems like they've. They've kind of written themselves into this corner. They have to make him a a, a dangerous, implacable enemy, but not too dangerous because we, he has. We have to prevent him from getting worse. But they feel. I feel like they've they've kind of crossed the line on that one.
1: Well, and they're gonna have. Well, they'll probably do. This is my guess. Is they'll show some kind of fatal flaw in control, right? That, that the, the spear limit. data would would correct. That there's something in the spear data that would correct, but. Control does not know how to correct it yet, so there's a fatal flaw of something. We don't know what it is yet, though.
0: What else do we have here? A couple, couple little notes. Uh, by the way, the there is um, a yeoman cult on the Enterprise who was the yeoman from the cage. She's uh, she's there on the bridge, so she's the other one who, along with number one, is abducted by the halogens. Uh, Pike, so so we do Oh, get to that see was her. her.
2: Yes. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yep. Yeah, the one that would have that has unusually
1: strong <clears throat> desires and would make <laughs> healthy offspring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, good job, Pike. Well, good. I do, I
1: do like that they had number one sitting in the helmsman like, spot, which yeah. is where yeah. she sits in, in cage. the cage. Yeah, right. That they they made that key that she was there in that spot.
0: Uh, and then um, I'm just trying to think of anything else. Uh, any other notes? I think that's it for my notes on this episode.
1: Any other notes that you guys have on this? I've got one small thing. It was kind of in, kind of interests me, of course, with, with my military background, um, that they don't have a salute per se, but they kind of did. Yeah. Where they I would do that. eyes up and everybody would go to parade rest. That's where you stand. Your legs are shoulder width apart. Your hands are behind your back at just above your belt, basically. And uh, that was kind of their salute was kind of which which was kind of interesting. You know, I, I, at first I was like, that's kind of a different way to get around a salute. But no, you could say that would be a salute as well. Just not the traditional we see where you, you take your hand and put it to your eyebrow or the tip of your hat like the military does. Well, they've been always been very clear and more clear uh, sometimes
0: than others. That Starfleet is not a military organization, despite the fact Yeah, the, right. Having despite, weapons and starships and fighting wars. Just, despite the fact <laughs> yeah. it totally is. Yeah, exactly. So, so I could see where they would avoid having explicit salutes as we recognize them, but substituting some other gesture, because in a hierarchical organization with rank, you need some way to have that sort of thing. So, I, yeah,
1: I think it was I actually as, as I thought about it later, I thought, you know what? That is actually an effective way of promoting the same thing, you know, like they, they did the eyes up for discovery before they destroyed it, which you could see, you know, in, in the military today, perhaps doing a salute before a self-destruction of a, a vessel or something like that. Uh, same thing of, you know, eyes up before he left the bridge. You know, Captain Pike left the bridge for the last time. Same kind of thing, doing a, a salute as the commanding officer left the, the ship for the final time. So I, I could, I could, it really actually, it filled that role well, I think. I thought it was actually quite effective.
2: The idea that Starfleet is not a military organization is just a piece of late when Gene Roddenberry was old and making next gen. It was a bit of his fantasy as he reinterpreted what he had done before. But in the original series, there is no pretense. This is a military organization. Well, they've got and they've and got, ranks, they got weapons. They fight. Yeah, it's yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, One note, this is not actually related to Discovery per se, but. On the theme of AI, if you've ever read Larry Niven's known space series, there's a race called the puppeteers, and they are a uh, from a human perspective, they're cowards and their whole life philosophy is based on cowardice because they evolved as herd animals who's, you know, they're intelligent, which is unusual for a herd animal. But they evolved as herd animals and herd animals are, you know, subject to prey animals. And so their life strategy is generally built on running away from things. Um, But they eventually, I guess, got smart enough to turn on their prey or on their predators and deal with them. But one of the things that's different between humans and puppeteers in this series is humans build AIs. So everyone has like on their phone an aide, A-I-D-E, an intelligent personal assistant. So your own little super intelligent Alexa. Um, but puppeteers do not build AIs. And in one novel, someone's asking the puppeteers, why don't you build AIs? You know, why aren't you into artificial intelligence? And one of the puppeteers replies, because we have no interest in making our replacements. <laughs> <Right>. mm, <laughs> right. And this series kind of illustrates
1: that point.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, I, for one, welcome our super intelligent computer overlords.
1: So. Is, isn't that right? <laughs> Alexa and Siri. and Google? <laughs>
0: yes. I love you. You are As bad. you're
1: sitting here listening to us.
0: Yeah. So uh, I guess that wraps it up for now. We're going to have the season finale, the ultimate season finale uh, coming up this week, uh, which as we record, this is Holy Week, which makes it an interesting uh, time to have that. And then we'll record uh, an episode next Monday where we'll talk about that. And then we'll also have the for the following week, we're going to do a season two retrospective. We're going to look back over the season Look at uh, the, in the in the big scale. How did they do? Was it a successful season? Uh, how, what do we think of the storylines, the character development, all those bits and pieces, and what we might be hoping for in the future in a season three of Discovery? Uh, you know, given what whatever happens in the next episode, yeah. and, and then we're going to be
2: back to talking about classic Trek.
0: Yes, and we have some great uh, Star Trek episodes. We're going to be doing a, a DS DS Nine episode, a two parter from the Deep Space Nine. And then we're going to be doing a, uh, is that a classic trick or TNG Parallax? Was that or was that? Voyager? No, that was
2: Voyager. We already did Voyager.
0: Right. right you right. you so, and I did that one. That's right. That's right. That's a Voyager episode. Uh, so we've got, we've
2: got really a whole bunch lame. of. Voyager <laughs> episode, so tune in to hear us roast it.
1: Yes, and yes. I'm, 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 part of me is sad I missed it because, yeah, that, that would have been a fun one to destroy, but part of me is glad I wasn't there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll be returning to classic uh, uh, Trek episodes, and then as other things come up, the new Picard series and uh, any the Section 31 series, if that ever happens, we'll obviously be talking about those things. But before that, we've got to finish out this season of Discovery, and uh, we'll be coming back to that. So we have a little bit of feedback from uh, the the our listeners, which we love to hear your voice. We love to to to, to hear your feedback. Uh, this one was a comment on YouTube, which we got from Cryptic Josh, who was commenting on our overview of the animated series way back then. Uh, and they and they mentioned because of uh, it's a reference to Discovery. He says, or assuming Josh is is a he. They also mention in. Hey, the, Michael,
2: be careful with those assumptions. <laughs> I know.
0: I, uh, I know. I'm making that. that yeah, exactly. But, uh,
2: Josh says. Go, let's go with it.
0: Yes. Josh says that in the animated series, they mentioned that Spock's mother, Amanda, says that Spock loved Alice uh, Alice in Wonderland Through the Looking Glass as a child, which, yeah. of course, is a huge part of Discovery season two plot. So mm-hmm. uh, thank you, Josh, for pointing that out.
2: Yeah. Interesting. I'd
0: forgotten that,
2: but that's true. Cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nice. Nice way the writers to reach all the way back. Into very, that. Very so cool. thank you for that feedback. Uh, before I close, I want to, as always, I want to thank our patrons. They, these people are very important for both us and for you, because without them, this podcast would not exist. Our patrons, they their financial support, let's just be quite honest, their financial support is what makes it possible just to sit here talking <laughs> about Star Trek uh, and, and creating a podcast. This wouldn't happen otherwise. And I want to thank w- this week by name, Jason K., Leslie H., Jeff V. Lindsay S., and Imad A. It's through their generous donations, their generous financial support at sqpn.com slash give that makes it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at StarQuest Media. And by the way, uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. So uh, given that it's April 15th, I thought I should mention that your gifts are tax deductible. So if you would like to join them in supporting what we do here, you can go to sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of this episode, uh, which was called Such Sweet Sorrow? Let it Part one, <laughs> let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash Trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leave us some feedback or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. And <clears throat> if you want to record, say, a voice memo or... Something like that. There's a voice memo function on iPhones and probably on Android phones. You could record your voice and email that to us. We'd love to hear hear uh, your voice on our show and not just mine. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing that season finale, uh, Part 2. Until then, Jimmy Akin, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Dom.
0: And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, you could make it an actual law to ban snark.